I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Welcome to Prattleworld. I'm your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan, and in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. Hello, guys. Sorry it's been a while. There's uh, a few reasons for that. Some medical, some technical. Uh, But yes, uh, the delay is over. The reprieve from my prattle is finished. I am back. Uh, I'm back on top form and I'm going to start this year with something a little different. Uh, I'm going to start off with my very first uh, version of The Clone Balls. So without further ado, let's begin. Choose a side in The Clone Balls. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to compare two 90s movies from uh, way back in the day, Um, both produced by Universal Pictures, and I'd like to thank... uh, I basically reached out on Twitter um, and asked for kind of unappreciated movies, obscure movies, um, cult movies, kind of films that I'm always interested in seeing, the ones that are not necessarily heralded for the reasons they're heralded, or, you know, the unheralded films. Um, So I reached out on Twitter to a few friends and listeners, and I do appreciate the responses. And I got two films that were relatively similar from two different parties, so I thought, why not use those as the first of the uh, subsequent Clone Balls? Basically, the Clone Balls is what what we're going to do, is basically just compare... Uh, the two films, you know, down to kind of brass tacks as best we can. So first of all, I'm going to start by uh, by using the uh, Nerds Chatting, at Nerds Chatting. You can find them on Facebook as well. Uh, fantastic podcast, one of my personal favourites and very helpful guys. Very much, uh, you know, I set in samples of uh, my early podcasting and music work and kind of all the sort of sounds and things that I've been making. So, yeah, and they've kind of helped me with that. So I really do appreciate their help. And I appreciate them as listeners and fellow podcasters in this Podden family, hashtag Podden family. Get all the hashtags in when you can. Um, so, yeah, we're going to look at the film that they suggested from 1992 called Trespass. So let's look at Trespass. All right, Trespass was a film directed by the Warriors director, Walter Hill. Um, he's also famous for directing uh, 48 Hours and a few other of those kind of uh, kind of late 80s, mid to late 80s, 70s kind of action movies, and this is no different. Um, starring Bill Paxton, William Sadler, Ice-T, Ice Cube. Um, it's uh, it's quite a, quite a diverse film, and uh, it was initially had to be de- delayed, the release of it was delayed because of the LA riots, and they were worried that... Um, 
controversial rappers uh, at the time, um, Ice Cube and Ice T, and it would stir up some kind of um, trouble and things. So, um, but to be honest, it's got relatively no kind of political slant from what I can tell from what Walter Hill said about the film. Um, I think it just came out a very tumultuous uh, political time. Um, and that's why there was such delay on it. Um, the reason I'm comparing the two films, by the way, both 90s movies, both feature gang violence, both have heavy rap music influences, both Universal movies, and they were released within a year of each other as well. Those are the kind of reasons. Anyway, Trespass. Yes, yeah, so the basic plot has Bill Paxton, William Sadler, firefighters, and they break into... Well, they, break, they have to break into the building that's ablaze, and there's an old man who's going crazy and screaming about something he stole or something like that and the, and eventually and the, uh, he kind of turns around they're trying to save him the guy's just too crazy he's got a gun and they're like he's like Aah! you know screaming his head off like I did it I did it oh god I did it you know all this and uh, the guy just turns around and, and catches himself on fire which is actually I found quite uh, amusing there's the way he just walks into the flame just Aah! burning away um, but before he dies he passes over some information to Bill Paxton and Bill Paxton for whatever reason kind of investigates have a look puts the kind of file report together for the firefighters and he finds out that this guy was some sort of uh, looter or bank robber um, uh, back in the 30s 40s and he turns out he hid some gold in a very in an old building in St. Louis somewhere uh, they're based. The firefighters are based in Arkansas, uh, so they travel. They 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 find out that he he stole some gold from a church, like real gold, proper gold, like a million dollars worth of gold, um, which is you know it's a fun little story device, uh, which I really enjoyed. And they decide they're not going to tell anybody. They're just going to go out and find that gold and keep it for themselves, which is fair enough. Um, unfortunately, at the same time, a, a local kind of uh, gang how executing a guy in the same building and they all get kind of slowly but surely are drawn into uh into kind of facing off against each other um bill paxton and william sadler's characters kidnap ice t's little brother who's also involved with the gang uh, and ice cube is kind of the second biggest role in the gang as well um you know and all, all ice t really wants is to kind of you know, because they they witnessed them, they managed to witness the murder of a, a local kind of gang member rival um, that was screwing them over, and that I think killed another one of their gang members. Um, yeah, um, so yeah, it's, that's the whole thing. They're trying to William Sadler and Bill Paxton are trying to keep this secret of the gold to themselves, but unfortunately, uh, it gets out. Um, but yeah, it's a really really cool kind of plot. Um, it's a very intense. Um, yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about. I don't know what else. Can I, where should we start? Um, yeah, I mean the the pl the plot's quite you know um, quite straightforward. It doesn't really waste a lot of time, kind of setting up the the ideas. Kind of, I think within about ten minutes or so, we've got the general kind of setting of the film, the plot. Everything's kind of set up quite quickly and quite um, quite well done. Uh, it's very concise, very concise film, and quite you know it gets all the information out. It's not much information needs to be you know put across really. It's a relatively straightforward story, but they did, he Walt Hill does it in a way which is um, again you could lesser films have not been able to put across that information as well. 
Um, but he's just very talented. And also, that this this is a really old script. This goes back to the 1970s, apparently. And it was written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale of Back to the Future fame. So I think that doesn't hurt the you know doesn't hurt the the film itself because I think it must have been quite a strong script anyway to begin with, um, but it must have just been forgotten and left in the kind of back rooms of Universal at some point, just never used. And and uh, I, it's it's crazy because like I mean in in film school they they point towards um, Back to the Future being like the perfect screenplay, the perfect script, and they use that as a kind of a baseline uh, for educating people on how to write screenplays. So so the fact it comes from those guys can't mean it's too bad. And it really isn't. And I I know that Ice-T and Ice Cube had a lot of... And all the kind of other guys in the gang also had a lot of input in regards to their the script, in regards to the things they would say. Like, obviously, it was written back in the 70s, so all the lingo would be quite outdated. So, yeah, so they kind of, like, adjusted and added a kind of 90s, you know, gangster rap feel to all the dialogue, um, you know, which was more, you know, quite prevalent at the time. And I think it didn't necessarily hurt that Universal have a music label. Um, you know, it didn't hurt their chances of selling records as well at the time. So, yeah, um, yeah, so it was off to a strong start, this film. Uh, and I have to say, on the whole, I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to watch and... I just I I love a good kind of solid action movie with good plot and good characters, and these characters um apparently like I was looking on the IMDb page and it said that Australia didn't didn't get get with this film they were like you know it's not you know it's it's got loads of unlikable characters and I I'd I'd argue that it's it does have a lot of likable characters, um they're just put in a very extreme situation and like yeah I think I think they are relatable like Ice T just wants kind of his brother back and. That's his main focus, um, you know. The kind of uh, Bill Paxton and William Sadler find the room that the gold is in um, initially, uh, and they kind of it's quite secure, and they and they string um, they they manage to get. Um, I think it's called King James. I see his character's called King King James, and his brother's called Lucky, and they manage to kind of grab him and they tie him to this to the door. So if they tried bur- bursting it down, they pull off the arm guys at Lucky's arms. Or if they shoot through it, they'll shoot Lucky. Which I thought was quite an, actually quite a genius idea of dealing with people trying to get in. Um, but yeah, and I think... I, and, like, it's... I mean, it could it could easily become, like... Like, we were talking about the political climate at the time. It could have easily become a kind of, you know... You know, white guys... Like, the, the black guys could have been the villains of the piece. And it could have been a very, kind of, white hero, white hope kind of story. But it's really not. The You know, the very... The, the gang is very engaging, very, you know, really cool kind of guys, really interesting motivations of the characters. Um, and they're good, ta- it's good talent. I mean, Ice t- for me, Ice-T and Ice-Cube are the best rappers come actors probably that there's ever been in cinema. Uh, and they, they nail it. They absolutely nail it. Like, Ice-T's still, he's still, you know, he's, he's more of an actor than a rapper. He's probably done more acting than rapping in his entire career in the end because he does have a knack for it. It's talented. Uh, and, you know, just both of them, uh, and Ice Cube as well. Again, I love Ice Cube. I like One of my favourite performances from Ice Cube is just in the uh, the 21 Jump Street um, just plays the kind of hard-edged commissioner. Uh, it's just really, really funny. It's just like, 
you know, um, it's just he does he does really good kind of angry acting, and he does it so well and so charming and so uh, and so he's quick witted as well. It's really really funny. Um, so I, I recommend him. I actually think Ice Cube would make a really good J. Jonah Jameson if they ever if they ever did you know brought him back into the kind of the Marvel Cinematic Sony Universe. I think he would make an amazing J. Jonah Jameson. Um, just because, just just because of who he is, I think it's he's quite the talent, and I think he would be able to pull off that role. Because I can't see anybody else, at the mo- in my mind, like beating out J.K. Simmons in that role. Anyway, getting back to the film, I mean, I I have you know I have to talk about have to talk about uh, Bill Paxton, who's always a delight to watch. He's an amazing performance, great director as well. If you haven't seen his film Frailty. Uh, I think it was the only film he directed, uh, really, really good, and it's got a great performance by Matthew McConaughey in it as well. Um, just superb film. But yeah, he's he's one of my favourite talents from Aliens to Near Dark. If you haven't seen that, it's a really good... That's Near Dark is what Twilight should have been, this kind of cowboy western love story vampire flick from the mid-80s, starring most of the cast of Aliens, directed by Kathleen Bigelow. Go see Near Dark as well. Anyway, let's talk about the film I'm here to talk about instead of going on these tangents. Um, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite interesting to see how the how the the greed. I mean, this whole story is about greed and want and need, and they all got their own desires for needing and wanting that gold. Um, and yeah, it's it's quite interesting to see what you know the situation just ratchets, keeps ratcheting up, and it, and that's obviously what a good film is supposed to do. And and the climax is really good um, and really kind of bombastic. Um, but yeah, it, and it makes the characters do different things, and it's just like that, just kind of keeps leveling up, and it gets more and more intense as the film grows, and the, and you do feel you know you know, you kind of relate to, again. You like I was saying, it's very relatable to both kind of both gangs, uh, the both gangs or groups of people, have you want to describe them? Um, so you know the the firefighters and the the gang itself. I think I'll I'll just use that as the the pejorative term for both of them. So yeah, it's great to see how it kind of just keeps going, and the more knowledge they gain, the more like okay, well I'm gonna, you know, and the, there's a, a part of a subsection of the gang which finds out about the girl, but keeps it to themselves. And um, oh yeah, spoilers, sorry, spoilers if uh, you want to watch the film. But yeah, there's a subsection that that find out. It's a mild spoiler, but. Uh, and they try and they start kind of setting up the guys and try and force force uh, King James's hand um, in trying to get through and killing the guys without knowing King James. You know, I don't think King King James ever knows about the gold particularly. But um, it's really cool. And one one of the guys is dressed kind of like a pimp, and uh, and Ice Cube calls him Stupid Fly, making reference to obviously uh, uh, Superfly, the black exploitation film. Um, but yes, it's a great, really, really good film, and, and again, it, it, the the way they've the way they've, sh- they've shot it as well, it just gets more and more kind of well, Walter Hill. So it starts off like a you know like a normal film. Actually, actually I think he starts off with with uh, camcorders, a camcorder like steady, steady cam footage, or shaky cam footage, whatever you call it. Um, but yeah, he kind of he does that and. Uh, and it's quite effective. Apparently, the gangs at the time were like video recording um, the kind of crimes they were committing, so it kind of made sense. And um, for the language of the film as well, it works because there's some great kind of kind of uh, like in- indie filmmaking kind of tropes in there as well, which really really would co- you know that kind of uh, found footage kind of material, and that's basically what what he's doing. But he they do use it quite. 
quite well. I think there's elements of it which... No, I think it's 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 it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's not too, you know, found footage, but it's not too the other way either. It's kind of they use it in the right uh, elements, the right times, um, which doesn't kind of it isn't jarring between the two. It does work. It does help kind of ground it a little bit, make it a bit more interesting um, in terms of you know some of the just guys. I mean, there's a lot of scenes of guys standing around talking. You know, they might have guns and stuff, but. That is, you know, it does make it a bit more interesting, a bit more dynamic, um, especially guns get pointed towards the camera and things like that, or, you know, action's kind of happening quite close. You're like, oh, what's going on? But it's not, again, it's not Transformers, like, you don't know anything's happening. Um, but it does work, yeah, and I do I do recommend it. But, yeah, this is a, this is a pretty, all around, it's a pretty good film, and there's this great little character who's probably my favourite character in the entire, um, the entire you know, film really, uh, is this kind of, this homeless guy, um, I can't remember the homeless guy, character's name of the homeless guy, but he's, he basically lives in the room where the gold is, and he kind of gets, has to get tied up, and, and he's basically stuck in the middle between the gang and the firefighters, because the fire, firefighters get pretty desperate, you know, it gets more and more, the situation gets more and more desperate, um, there's a great bit where they're trying to, there's a catwalk that they can try, that's seemingly the only way out they have, um, basically of the situation. Um, so they try and put a plank across over to the catwalk and they start, they start trying to walk across. Um, they're going to leave the kind of homeless guy and stuff. But anyway, they're trying to get across this plank and uh, they start stepping. It looks like they might be able to do it. It's very treacherous, obviously, but it's something that may, the plank looks like it would hold. But then, obviously, someone gets a, one of the gang gets a massive AK out or an M sixteen and just absolutely tears the tears the plank apart while they're starting to walk across it. It might be Ice Cube, might be another another one of the members of the gang. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it's <laughs> Bill Paxton like has to jump in to save his own life as as he's walking on the plank as it gets shot, and he uh, <laughs> he's like fuck that plan, uh, which is probably my, one of my favorite lines in the film. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's really, really kind of strong performances from everybody. Like William Savage is quite good because he he starts off. He's kind of he's a pretty desperate man. I know I was talking about the homeless guy, wasn't I? What am I on about? Let's go back. Let's go back to the homeless guy. So we're talking uh, the homeless guy is kind of stuck in the middle. He knows what the gangs like. Knows how they operate. He even talks about a friend he used to have that he doesn't see anymore. And uh, turns out turns out that. Bill Paxton and William Sadler's characters find his friend's body earlier on because um, he mentions uh, the shoes being wearing the shoes wrong because he has the shoes on the wrong feet or something. Um, but he's like, but he was clearly killed by a, ga- a gang, not necessarily this gang, but he's like, they're basically like saying it's like it's their turf. Uh, so I imagine it is them. But um, but yeah, uh, he's really quite. He's kind of just stuck in the middle, and but he learns about the gold, and he's like, "Oh my god, I've been living in here, and I didn't know there was all this gold up here, and you know, I can make my life, I can change my life with this money and with with this gold." Uh, but yeah, William Sadler. No, no, I want to talk to Will about William Sadler, but I want to get. Let me finish about the homeless guy. But yeah, he's he's really. He's probably the the most kind of. I think Bill Paxton and the homeless guy are probably the most kind of relatable because they kind of get pulled into this situation it just gets totally completely out of hand and they kind of they do kind of 
yeah, they, they do have to deal with you know the issues and the problems and you know and they and there's problems between them as well, obviously, because they're tying him up and you know I'm gonna they th- think about killing him I think at one point and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he's definitely one of the better characters in in this whole film. Um, you know, once he knows what the, what the stakes are as well, he you know everything ratchets up, everything goes up up a level. Um, but yeah, really good kind of thriller um, crime drama. Back to William Sadler as clearly as I just want to get to William Sadler over anything else. Um, yeah, so his character is quite desperate. I think he's got a lot of bills to pay. He's got, I think he's got a divorce, an ex-wife who's got payments. He's talking about the rent going up and stuff. So he's quite relatable in, in that regard, like the debts he has. Um, but he, he wants, I mean, there's a bit where they don't find the gold and they're pretty much up for kind of giving up and just letting letting everybody go and just kind of trying to walk out of there in one piece because they think they're dead anyway but so it's not going to hurt and there's no other escape but then uh, but then the homeless guy has an idea um but yeah he it just kind of gets more and more extreme he's the one who's kind of he starts fighting with Bill Paxton as well at one point his ideas become more and more extreme. He's so desperate for this gold. He's so desperate. Bill Paxton basically is like, fuck the gold, don't want the gold, don't need the gold. It'd be great if we had it, but, you know, at this point in time, do do we absolutely need it? And he, yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah, he's, he, he's, he's, it's, it, hard to say. He's relatable, uh, yet you can, you know, you can see that he's been pushed to an extreme. Like, started off being a very simple, very easy thing, and then it just, you know, spirals out of control. The whole situation spirals out of control, and that's the, the whole point of the film. And, uh, and yeah, it's it's kind of, it's good. It's so, so good. Yeah, I'm really glad uh, at Nerds Chatting, you know, um, have uh, recommended this to me, because I really did enjoy it. It really gripped me, and I was excited, you know, excited to watch it, and... And yeah, just fantastic, fantastic movie. Well shot, well edited, well you know, well acted, well scripted. Very, 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 very strong. Um, lots of fun to be had as well. So I would recommend it for anybody. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking about this scene with the with the homeless guy. He's like, um, he feels a bit. Bill Paxton feels a bit sorry for him, and he's like. Uh, He's like, oh, I'll tell you what, you know, just, you know, I feel bad for you, you know, I, I, we just want to find this stuff and be on our way. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 40 bucks. He's like, fuck you, 40 bucks, fuck you. And he's like, well, I was going to keep the 40 bucks to myself. And he's like, well, maybe I'll just take that 40 bucks off you. <laughs> it's so, so funny. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's quite a bit of humour to this as well, um, which is good considering the kind of the subject matter. Like, Lucky, Lucky's a. Um, so King James were the lucky who they've got tied up as a, as a kind of smack addict. Um, so yeah, there's some pretty dark shit going down uh, in this film. But um, but no, it's really, really, couldn't recommend it enough. Lots of fun. If you like Walter Hill's movies, you know, uh, Warriors, 48 Hours, Last Man Standing, those kind of films. Um, it's just like a good 90s action movie. If you like Ice-T and Ice Cube, they're amazing in this. Really, really good, really talented performances and and you know ice T's character he spends a lot of the, the film trying not to use violence trying not to 
you know, trying to find other ways out. Like, he's the, he's the thinking man's gangster, you know. He, like, he dresses very well. He almost dresses like a politician or a preacher or something, um, which I really, really dug. And Ice Cube's the one who's more violent, more aggressive. He just wants to, like, smoke everybody. Um, you know, even the cops, even when a cop comes along, he's thinking, let's just kill the cops. And they're like, you know, we'll bring down even more problems if we do that. Um but yeah, it's really fascinating uh, to kind of w watch watch both sides of the firefighters and the gang kind of try and figure both of them out or what's going on, who's doing what, and why are, why are these guns being shot and why is this, you know, and that puts you know Ice T and Ice Cube's characters at kind of um, at loggerheads because obviously you know Ice T is trying to protect his brother um, as best he can. Um, but Ice Cube doesn't care. He just wants to kind of get this problem alleviated, you know. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's it's so so fascinating to watch, and it's kind of it's like classic kind of Mexican standoff. I think that kind of um, you know, it's almost or a war, if you will. I mean, it is a war, um, but yeah, this kind of like the you know, it's really really fascinating to watch. But yeah, a lot of a lot of fun I, I had watching this, and I do truly, truly recommend people go out and and watch this, download it, or you know, get it on eBay on a cheap DVD or a Blu-ray or where, wherever it's available. Um, but no, it's it's great film, great performances, great actors, uh, well written, well shot, um, fantastic. Yeah, um, you know, it's a lot of fun to be had with this. Um, so if if it pro I wouldn't be surprised if it pops up on Netflix or has already been on Netflix at some point. Um, but I do recommend it if you just want a kind of pure nineties action movie. Um, you know, and they were very popular in the nineties. So yeah, so highly, highly recommend that. I don't know if there's anything else I need to say about it. Um, but yeah, just fantastic, a lot of fun. Go for it, watch it, see if you like it. Can't recommend enough. So let's move on to the next film, Judgment Night. Alright, Judgment Night. Okay, so this was recommended by another of our Twitterati. So that is, this is at I am JAC's Musings. So another one of our listeners. I do appreciate the recommendation. So yeah, it is, it is another similar film. Not that similar, but yet quite similar. As I've said earlier, the different kind of comparison reasons why we're, I'm doing the comparison. So yeah, uh, so this is, uh, oh, who's it directed by? Oh, I'm forgetting the name. I want to say Stuart McKinnon. I'm going to say Stuart McKinnon. That might be right, might be wrong. I could check right now, but I don't have the time. Okay, so Judgment Night is basically a film where um, some friends want to go see a boxing match. So some dudes kind of just hanging out, some friends, you know, uh, very blokey, very brosy um, kind of dudes. One uh, character, Emilio Estevez, um, uh, very fine actor, is plays a kind of a young father, kind of just got married, just had his first kid, uh, but he just wants to have a, a night out with the guys, you know, just a nice kind of fun no responsibilities, just, you know, just kick back. It's only a couple of hours, he says at the start of the film, it's only going to be a couple of hours, no problem. Um, and, yeah, it's, um, yeah, so so that's the premise. Uh, so all his friends come, so you've got Jeremy Piven, who's playing the quintessential absolute dickhead, uh, which he plays so well, so very, very well. Um, and you've got a young Stephen Dorff, who's, who looks like he could be 
a young. I think he bases his look on probably a young Christian Slater. It looks like he could have been in like uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, or something. Probably he probably was going for the same auditions at the time. I imagine. Um, so you've got them, and you've got Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, who's really good in this as well. Uh, he plays kind of a sports kind of athlete. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but yeah, he. Yeah, so they do that. So they're on. They get this big kind of um, this kind of tour bus they call the Welcome Wagon, which has got it's got a little Nintendo. We've uh, got the Nintendo uh, console with a little gun and everything. Um, kind of nineties throwback. I loved it. Uh, what else? Oh, what else? It's got yeah, TV, big TVs, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a big kind of I'm going on. We're going on tour kind of bus, but um, they're just going to a boxing match. So, so on the way, they get stuck in traffic. It looks like they're going to be late to the boxing match. So, uh, they decide to take a shortcut, and it takes them through kind of a kind of a kind of a ghetto or a kind of a less kind of upmarket neighbourhood, um, however you want to describe it. Yeah, so it's kind of uh, so they go through and, and they accidentally knock over a guy, and they're like, "Oh fuck, shit! Um, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do?" And then they realise the guy's been shot. Uh, and then a couple of other kind of they try and run away from these gangsters. They catch up to him, grab the guy, uh, who turns out he was supposed to be he was stealing from the gang leader. Uh, I think he's called Fallon, not Jimmy Fallon. Uh, that would have been a more interesting film. Not that this, not that this is interesting. Maybe a, it would have been quite a humorous one. But um, to be fair, the guy who plays Fallon is Dennis Leary, and he is spouting off one-liners and comedic dialogue like you can not even believe like he's having he seems like he's having an absolute ball with this film he's just like i'm just gonna be an absolute arsehole violent angry dickhead which is probably what he's like in real life maybe i don't know i don't know dennis leary that well <laughs> uh, but no he gives it a great performance a lot of fun to be had with his performance in this film uh so yeah he kills the the lad that had already been shot and so, and then they, he has several rules, like don't steal from me. In his gang, he's got he's got rules, so a bit like a, a kind of a. I guess this is like if Captain Stacy played the kingpin, uh, pretty much. Uh, but yeah, he's got several rules, like don't rat on me, don't steal from me, and no witnesses. So all the guys in the in the van that've witnessed the murder, they're on. They go well. He's going to murder us. Let's run, which they do. Uh, and that's that's the premise of the film. They're on the run from Dennis Leary's character. Um, but yeah, it's you know it, it's um, hmm, how to put it. It's quite. It's a bit more kind of loosely directed, and it's a lot uh, a bit more kind of loose in the in the terms of the writing and stuff um, compared to Trespass. Um, but it's still a very 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 good film. Um, you know, it's really enjoyable. It's it's again lots of tension. Um, you've got these, you know, they're running away from the gangs. They're trying to hide out. There's a great scene where um, they're in the, they're in a homeless, uh, they're homeless. They're not. They bump into homeless people um, who are hiding out in this train because they're just trying to escape from Dennis Leary. And this Dennis Leary's kind of calling them out, and the homeless people are like, "We're gonna, we're gonna reveal where you are. If you don't give us any money, we're gonna reveal where you are." And they're like, so they hand over all the cash and all their kind of jewelry and anything that's valuable to them. Uh, and yeah, I can't remember what my point was now. I don't know what I was speaking about. Um, yeah, so... No, no, it's gone. Sorry, guys. I've <laughs> literally gone off and forgotten what I was talking about. No worries, no worries. Right, let's carry on. Where were we talking about? So Dennis Leary, yeah, so he's chasing them. 
but yeah, it's a it's a bit more kind of uh, it's a bit more. Uh, I think there's probably a bit more of a kind of indie feel to this film. Um, I don't know if the quality the quality I was watching of of Judgment Night was not as sharp as as the quality I was watching from Trespass. Um, but yeah, it's it, the the guy who directed it. I know directed Predator Two and a few other kind of mm, okay movies. So um, yeah, so. Uh, but uh, but no, it's it's good. It's fun. It's got a lot of tension. Got great characters. I'd say the character arcs are actually stronger in in this film than with Trespass. With Trespass, it's more about the plot and the gold and getting out. With this, it is much more about how the characters develop through the stresses of this night and being chased and put under this pressure. So, for example, Stephen Dorff's character, we kind of he plays this like tough, angry street youth kind of. Uh, rebel without a cause, kind of James Dean type, um, and we find out throughout the film that it's kind of a little bit not not true. Um, he's not as tough as he looks. He's a bit more sensitive, but he he puts on this persona of like you know, don't fuck with me persona. Um, but yeah, it turns out he's you know he's just genuinely scared, and this night is not helping that. And you know, there's a there's a point where. Um, he's he encounters one of the gang members that are chasing him from Dennis Leary's gang, and he's like, "You're not going to do fucking anything. You're a pussy. You got nothing. You got no, got no dick, uh, sort of thing." And and he doesn't do anything. Um, it kind of and it it shakes him. It throws him. Um, so he's got a really nice defined character arc. Um, uh, Jeremy Piven's character as well. He's obviously the big man. He's brash. He's talking about things, uh, things he's done, the people, women he's slept with. You know, the money he's making, the money he's spending. You know, rah 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 rah. You know, and obviously it's, he he does it to a T. Like he is, I'd say he's the Bill Paxton and Aliens character in this because he we quite quickly learn that he's quite cowardly and like he's not. You know, he's not a. He's, as kind of like it's all talk. It always was talk. It always will be talk. And he even thinks like quite arrogantly that he can negotiate with the gang. Uh, he can find a way to kind of get out of this alive without um, without dealing with violence or murder. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Cuba Gooding Junior's got a really nice arc as well. He he ends up uh, killing one of the gang members, and this kind of. Um, brings on a kind of hero complex, so he starts thinking he's this kind of athlete already. So it's kind of partly ingrained in him already that he's this kind of hero. So he was always, and he says, "There's a line where he's like, I wonder, I always wondered what I'd be like under under combat stresses and pressures. I've always wanted to know what what I would do when I cut the mustard." Um, you know, he kills the guy, and then he starts getting really angry and really aggressive, and you know, you know, shaking guns and throwing his guns, you know, shooting things. You know, he's. He gets really, really, you know, invested in that and thinks, you know, he can sort out our pro- his problems by just killing them all. He just wants to kill them all, where Emilio Estevez and the rest of the characters want to run and get out and be safe and find a way uh, without having to confront them. Because, again, they've got guns and they haven't got guns for most of the film. Um, so, yeah, and, and Emilio Estevez, obviously, he's playing the the new young father who's, you know, having to say goodbye to these kind of youthful endeavours that he used to go out. Like so This is like their last hurrah, I think, before he kind of settles down as a, as a father, as a husband. And he, he clearly is the most responsible one in the film and, you know, he becomes more responsible and he is responsible for everybody and he's trying to make the best decisions given the situation. Um, so, yeah, 
and it, the so the character arcs in this in this film are really strong, and that does help the film. Um, like I said, it's a bit more loose, loosey goosey in, in terms of direction and cinematography and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that makes you identify with them um, quick, quicker, and a bit more kind of. I mean, it 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 did take me a little bit to get into because uh, it was very much like, bro, let's have some beers and let's you know drink and go to a boxing match. Very, it's very testosterone heavy, which sometimes I can kind of do without in certain films. Um, but yeah, um, I was gonna say, <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I've always I've always found like Stephen Dorff kind of a almost like his his acting style. I think is very similar to a Dennis Leary. Um, like even especially in something like Blade, where he's uh, Deacon Frost, which is probably his most well-known role. Or the is, does he play the fifth Beatle in Backbeat or something? It's something like that. Um, but yeah, he I think he's a quite a good actor. He's you know he's very very young at this point, so I don't think he's uh, he's done a lot of a lot of work. Or he has, he's not built up to to his kind of Blade fame as of yet. But um, but yeah, he's, it was good. It's it's a good film. It's fun. Um, one of the henchmen is the most nineties actors ever. It's the guy who played, I think his name's Peter Green. He's the guy who played Zed in uh, in Pulp Fiction. He's the villain in The Mask. Um, he was all over the nineties. Like, like there's a couple of actors who just like villainous actors, or uh, you know, all over the nineties. And you'd see them all over the nineties, but then you'd never see them again. Um, I think Peter Green is one of them. I, I thought he might have died, but apparently he's still working. Um, but yeah, it was just quite nice to see him again because I was just like, I, I don't necessarily think he's a bad actor or anything. I just, you know, I just haven't seen him in a lot. But whenever I see him, it's always a '90s film. <laughs> so he's he's a quintessential kind of '90s actor, uh, which is really cool. Um, Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. in this is he's really good. He's really good. He, he, he comes across really strong in this. He's a great performance. I think this is a little. This is before Jerry Maguire. I'm pretty sure. Um, so he's not. He's not up on that level. But I've always found Cooper Gooding Jr. to be a phenomenal actor, but just in a load of weak films. Like he's always the best thing in the film because he's just a talent. But all the films he's in are a bit, not not necessarily bad or just not great. Um, you know, like Snow Dogs or uh, you know. There's, Things like that. I just, I'm just like, it's just a shame that he's his career has just been after you know after, after did he win the Oscar? I think he won the Oscar. After that, it's basically just been one, one thing after another that's just not been to his level of talent. And and I'm getting, I'm I'm pretty sure he's probably in some great movies, but I just haven't seen him. All the ones I seem to catch him in are not so great. Um, so and I think that's a real shame because he is a, a, an absolute talent and a treasure. Um, but yeah, so what else was I thinking about? Let's see. So I hated uh, everything was Piven's fault for me in the film. Uh, Jeremy Piven, he makes all the absolute worst decisions in the movie that anyone could make. Um, you know, just awful, awful decision making, awful character. Um, but then you still feel you still feel sorry for him a little bit. It's just that he's you know. And I think that's the probably the talent of Jeremy Piven, you know, playing a role because, you know, like like this, and it, it is like I said, it is very similar to you know Bill Paxton in Aliens, um, but I think that that shows the kind of talent of the performers doing those roles. If you can, even though they're making the worst decisions, even though they're you know betraying their friends or doing horrible things or you know 
always constantly making the wrong decision for whatever reason, by either selfishly or by mistake or you know. Um, I think it it just shows the talent of the actors that they you can still identify with that with that character even though you should think they're an absolute arsehole or an idiot or and, and they are those things but they're also still you know a human being and I think Jeremy Piven does that well he's what he, Jeremy Piven is one of my favorite actors but watching this and this was made in 93 I'm just wondering if Jeremy Piven has ever not had a receding hairline um, because it's so far back in this one it's really quite far back um, it's a bit like me then I'm pretty sure I can't remember not having a receding hairline um, so there's another scene which is actually quite similar to the scene I was talking about in Trespass where they have to cross a roof uh, and some like local gang have put together like basically tied together two ladders with a bit of kind of tarp over it or something um, but yeah it was just weird that both films featured a scene of them crossing a rooftop um, you know da- dainty rooftop or um, but yeah, it's just a weird, weird thing that adds to the comparison, I guess. Adds to the clone balls. Um, but yeah, really, really cool. I think there's a, there's a, in, uh, they go into this apartment block as well, uh, where they kind of, they're trying to look for help, trying to call the police. And there's a, there's a, a, a woman they kind of bump into and she's very, not, tr- doesn't trust them straight away. Fair enough. Um, and... <laughs> She does let them in, and I'm pretty sure, like, it's not explicitly said, but I, th- I think it's like a, a a lesbian couple with a with an adopted child or a um, or one of the one of the uh, lesbians. Um, I mean, I'm assuming the lesbians. That could be totally um, innocuous of me, but uh, to think that it's you know, but I think I think that's pretty cool to have that kind of you know very subtle representation. Like, I'm going to assume they're a lesbian couple. Um, but you know, given the time it was in the in the nineties, that you know, there's not there wasn't a lot of kind of you know LGBT content in most movies. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool to to have even just a little nod or a little inkling uh, about that um, possibly possibly happening. Um, the finale of the film I did quite enjoy because it did feature quite a lot of sugar glass, and I I'm always a a sucker for just glass smashing like. Like if you've ever seen Jackie Chan's Police Story, my God, it's it's phenomenal. It's a, the finale's in a in a mall, um, and it's just Jackie Chan doing his best stuff. Almost killed himself on that film, uh, with the final stunt. But it's just glass after glass after glass after glass breaking. Love it so much. Um, and this this is kind of I think it's kind of a department store, a meat packing plan or some some something like that. Um, and it's just like towards the end, it's just smash after smash after smash, uh, and I'm a sucker for that. So I really did love that finale. Um, and there's there's a great bit where uh, they think the the thing the the place is empty because they've killed the security guards, they've killed the cops and the gang, and uh, and and then uh, like midway through, you see this guy um, coming out with like loads of um, kind of bags of soil or something. And he's got his headphones on, and he's like blasting away, singing along to uh, his favorite song or whatever, whatever's playing. And he's being shot at through these, you know, soil bags or whatever the sandbags or whatever they were. And he I was gonna say they must be the most powerful headphones in the world. If you can't hear a gunshot for six from six feet away, how ridiculously powerful are they? I mean, did did Universal pro- produce them? Who knows. 
Um, but yeah, it was. It just made me. I thought it was quite a funny thing, just because it's quite a dark, serious kind of foreboding ending. That you know, there's you know, uh, the finale of it. Um, so yeah, it was quite. Uh, I found that quite humorous. But yeah, no, it's a really good film. It was really fun to watch. Um, you know, it's quite gripping, and and, and the, the premise is quite. It's a loose premise, obviously. It's just like, but um, but it was fun. The performances are great. Emilio Estevez, very strong actor, anyway. Um, I, I've always liked Emilio Estevez um, as a performer. Um, you name it, wherever he's been, in, I've I've liked him in it. Um, yeah, uh, strong strong villain, very strong villain, very charismatic villain. Like Dennis Leary is always very very charming. Always, I always find him really charming. But also, like I wouldn't want to be in, be on his bad side. Um, there's there's a great. He has some great kind of like. I think he's probably just practicing for his stand-up material in some ways because he's just kind of going on these riffs um, about things that piss him off. Uh, and they're all great, they're all funny, they're all kind of... <laughs> but yeah, he is pretty deliciously evil in this film. Um, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a blast. And I do, I do again recommend... Uh, I do like the recommendation from uh, I Am JAC's Muselings. Um... But yeah, I think that was it was really beneficial for me to watch, and it was fun. It was fun to to just kind of sit back and and watch. I've not done much else with my day today. I'll be honest, because I've been. Well, I wanted to be a little bit lazy. Um. So yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a good, good, strong movie. Highly recommend. Uh. So I think now is the time where I think we should compare the two films. I think I think we've gone to that point. So let's crack on with the old clone ball. All right. Uh, so let's start the comparison. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it in five categories, which is much like we used to kind of do a similar thing on nerds nerds not, not nerds chatting. I was never a part of that podcast. As I wish I was, but I was part of the Nerdify podcast back in the day. Uh, I've just got Nerds Chatting on the Brain. I just listened to their fresh new podcast, uh, and I loved it, as per. Uh, it might not be that fresh, actually. It might be a slightly older one. I have been neglecting it. I do apologise, guys. Anyway, <laughs> so on Nerdify, we used to do uh, five categories, and that way, one person or one thing or one franchise would always win. So I'm going to do the same thing. So first of all, let's compare the writing of the of the two films. So so like I said, The Trespass was written by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis with, with touches ad, added by Ice Cube and Ice-T and the rest of the characters playing the gang um, to kind of bring it up to date uh, with kind of street streetwise lingo that uh, that was happening around the early 90s and judgment night uh the i'm not sure who wrote it i'm sorry i've got less i should have got more prepared for judgment night i do apologize um but i'm not entirely sure but i i have to admit that i'm going to say that the writing for trespass was better um i just think it was sharper it was, it was snappier uh, the dialogue was good. The premise was good. I mean, for the thing about Trespass was it was all about the plot. The plot was the most important part. The you know, but for Judgment Night, the I will say I will say this that Judgment Night does have better character work in it. 
Um, uh, I do like again. I like the the growth of the characters, their resolutions to their personal problems, the resolution to the plot, resolution to um, everything they they deal with. Um, I will say that the ending kind of went out. It was a bit weak on Judgment Night. It, it just kind of it kind of just fizzled out at the end. It's kind of just it was a bit slow, and it was kind of like. I think they could have ended it at a stronger point. It kind of just went on a little bit too long towards it. It's kind of just like, oh, you're alive. Oh, you're alive. Oh, and you're alive. Here's the hospital. I'm, oh, your wife's here. It was just really kind of matter of fact, um, which I didn't I didn't take to. And, it, and again, I think... I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dennis Leary did improvise a lot of his dialogue, and that was probably the best bit. Um, but I think, on the whole that Trespass was just stronger on all counts, plots, um, situations, uh, you know, uh, uh, characters, dialogue, you name it. I just think it was... A, I mean, uh, I mean, look, look at the... I mean, it's a bit unfair to compare them, really, but Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale of Back to the Future wrote this. That's why it's so damn good. Um, and I just, I just don't think that... Um, Judgment Night has that kind of caliber of talent behind the camera. I think it's got it. I think it's got it really strong up front. I think the talent, the actors um, on the camera are phenomenal, are really good, and bring give really good performances with what they have. But I think they lift, they lift the writing, they lift those characters, they lift the film um, for me. I think before anybody, any of those actors got involved. The writing on um, Trespass was already top notch, and I think that it wasn't a bad thing. Like Walter Hill, you know, pulled it. They pulled it out of you know a seventies, you know, like a drawer of seventies scripts, and went, yeah, this is really good. We just never filmed it, and you know the fact that he came away and went, that was amazing. And again, the caliber of the writers and the caliber of the talent behind that is why the writing is so strong. Um, and again, Judgment Night unfortunately just doesn't have that kind of of cal caliber, talent, and quality kind of behind it. Uh, again, great premise, great, you know everything. Everything's good there. Just sadly, I think it's purely just it's just the people. Well, it's the writing. It is the people behind it. But yeah, it's just not at the highest grade it could be. Again. You're looking at a, a writing team that their script is used in educating how to write screenplays. I think it shows. It clearly shows. Yeah, of course, of course, there was edits and changes and things to it, but the the stuff that was left in, which was the majority, according to Walter Hill, the majority of it was left in, uh, and you know, rightly so. But um, yeah, so I'm going to give this first point to Trespass. Next one. Okay, so I'm gonna judge I'm gonna judge it on the acting via the actors. Um so so Judgment Night has a very strong cast, you know, really good uh a really good kind of, of clattering of kind of actors or a school of actors. I, I don't know how to how do you describe a group of actors? I should know by now. Um, I mean, being on the acting circles myself, I just call us a group of dickheads, <laughs> but that's just me. So, so yeah, so the acting is is really strong. Again, Emilio Estevez is the kind of strong, stable 
hero of the film. You know, he and he does have kind of elements of being an absolute badass as well. Like he, that's his past life in Judgment Night. He he was a kind of a rabble rouser. You know, he'd get into fights and he had a lot bigger balls. And that's what the rest of the characters in the film will complain about or make issue with. Like you're not the guy you used to know. You've got soft. You know, you're a family man now. You know, and he's really strong. And again. The best thing in Judgment Night for me is definitely Dennis Leary. Definitely the the best performance in the whole thing. But then Cuba, Cuba Gooder Jr. is, again, very, very good. Stephen Dorff, a little forgettable, I'll be honest. I think anybody could have played that role. It was just the angry street kid kind of thing. Um, you know, tough-wise, you know, street-wise, tough street-wise kid. Um, I think anybody could have played that, really. Uh, he doesn't have a huge role in it. Jeremy Piven, again, the quintessential asshole in, in the film, is great as well. Really, really good. Um, yeah, uh, let's move on to Trespass. Um, so I, I personally think that, again, like I said this, Ice Cube and Ice-T, great rappers come actors. Um, Bill Paxton and Williams. I think William Sadler is kind of... He almost gets a little bit forgotten, I think, as a, as an actor. And he's actually really strong in this, really interesting. He's got a great arc, um, you know, and again, the, the things he will do for this gold, this, it's like basically a million, million dollars worth of gold, you know. It, it would change his life and make him, his life all the better, and he will do absolutely anything. And he does have to question his morality quite a lot in the film. And I, he was really, really strong in it. I, I appreciate him. Like Bill Paxton again, we like we've seen him in everything. He he plays all sorts of characters. He plays, he's just an absolute talent. And and he does, he plays this kind of earnest, hardworking kind of firefighter, who uh, you know has to question his basically his earnestness and who he is and and the the ways and means he would go about of of getting this gold and you know and. Is you know the changes he's had to go through in this like few hours that he's had in this area, you know, trapped in this in this little room with this area with this gold with this situation with the gangs outside, um, but yeah, very very uh, very very kind of strong performance as well, um, and again like the 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 Ice T and Ice Cube's characters again they kind of, they are very relatable they could easily be painted as stereotypes and. You know, just evil, evil guys, but they're not. They're you know they they've got a business. You know, they run a a, a drug selling business. You know, uh, franchise, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know they, but they don't want to see. You know, end of the day, they don't want to see. You know, Ice T's little brother hurt in the in the film. That's you know, and that's their and again, Ice T will try and find any way other than violence to solve this issue. Like and he absolutely anything, and that's you know. Uh, yeah, really good performance. It's really hard to choose, actually, thinking about it. Um, I was just trying to think. Uh, well, I did say I did say Judgment Night had better character arcs. So I'm going to go and give this point to to Judgment Night, purely on the strength of, of the performances. Like I said, the performances have raised this film and the, and the writing of this film up. Uh, and I, th- I think that... Um, that deserves a point. Yeah, that deserves a point. So that's one point to Trespass. One point to Judgment Night. Moving on to the next category, which is music. So um, both both of these kind of uh, films have 
uh, were heavily influenced by kind of rap music. Obviously, Ice T and Ice Cube are in Trespass, uh, and it features. I think the album features their films, and Universal is a uh, well known for producing music as well. And I think that was a uh, not kind of. Um, I don't know what's the word, kind of co-advertising or uh, advertising symmetry um, makes sense for them to make money that way. Um, Both very popular artists in the early 90s as well. Why not? Why not use their fame as, you know, musicians and very high quality actors to to promote that? Um, So, yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of. um, Kind of features a lot of kind of rap music. Both of them do, in fact. I think the Judgment Nights uh, soundtrack is rock and rap, uh, kind of meshed together, like a kind of Run DMC Aerosmith type tracks. Um, yeah, so so yeah, and the scores. I think the score for Judgment Night was done by Alan Silvestri. Um, again, you hear with both films. I think you hear more of the score than than the rap music and stuff. Uh, from what I remember. Um, but yeah, it, was, it does like the obviously the when they're ratcheting it, ratcheting up the tension in both films, um, you will you will hear that. Um, it's hard. This one's a hard one because I'm trying to remember if there's any real section where I was like, wow, this music is so strong, or wow, this. I mean, the rap the rap music definitely sets the scene for the kind of the the urban kind of areas and the kind of the the gangster kind of life. Uh, and it sounds good. It sounds really good on both uh, both kind of films. I'm just trying to think score-wise if, if anything's really memorable or really uh, making me think of anything at all. Um, I'm really struggling. I think... I don't... Like, with Trespass, I'll be honest, I don't really remember the score very well. So... But we, I do like I don't remember any kind of re- moment where the score really kind of grabbed me or became memorable in any in any form. It was obviously there; it happens. Um, but yeah, I can't remember. But I do remember the Sylvester score in the other one, uh, especially um, when they're walking over the they're walking over the kind of the the two ladders tied together over to the roofs. Uh, I remember the, where it was the tension in the, the sewer scene. There's a sewer scene where they're trying to hide out and attack, kind of uh, gang up on one of the gang members uh, in Judgment Night. Um, and again, to, towards the towards the end, there's got a lot of kind of kind of jump out, kind of shock scares and stuff. I do remember the kind of ring, the kind of the strings um, from the Sylvester score, so I have to give this to Judgment Night. So that's two points to Judgment Night and one to Trespass. Oh, it's gonna be tight. It's gonna be tight. Let's move on to the next one. So I have to say this section is gonna be a tough one as well. It's cinematography. So basically, if you don't know how that is, it's basically. Uh, as it was once explained to me, it's how the thing bloody well looks. Um, so yeah, does it look good? How sharp is it? Uh, the image, you know, is it well put together cinematically? Does it does it work? Um, so Judgment Night is is kind of a bit more kind of roughshod. I said this, I think, when I was talking about Judgment Night earlier. There's a bit more kind of roughshod, a bit more kind of indie feel to it. Um, 
that it's kind of it, it wasn't as it wasn't as sharp, wasn't as focused. But uh, I can sort of see why that is with the film the way it is. It's you know it's quite there's long quite long shots, very like you know it's it's more. I think the I think they were kind of filming the city more so than necessarily the situation or the actors or the set or anything like that. They basically used the. I mean, it's there's not many. I don't reckon there was many sets for for this particular film for Judgment Night. Um, I think that a lot of the time they just spent kind of outdoors or in in the areas they wanted to shoot. So, um, so yeah, I th- I think it kind of comes across that way that it's it's not very focused. It's not very um, secure. There's a lot again. There's a lot of like. But there's some some very interesting shots. It's like I think they do these kind of. I think they CGI two shots together. There's like one where St- Stephen Dorff or Emilio Estevez is up against a wall, kind of hiding, and then in the and then you can see past their head, they're facing towards the camera. But in the background, there's Dennis Leary or Peter Green or whatever, which are the gangsters kind of waiting, um, which kind of interests me. You can kind of quite tell that it is two shots jammed together, but it's interesting to kind of see that. I'm trying to think of anything, any other kind of interesting things to pick out. Um, again, it probably doesn't help that I was watching a lower quality version of Judgment Night than than I would have liked, but it was the only one uh, I could uh, get my hands on. Um, but yeah, uh, with I have to, I have, I'm gonna have to go with Trespass because. Walter Hill clearly knows what he's doing. He's done it for years. He's aware of the technology. He knows how to shoot. Focus is better. The even the the handheld stuff's really interesting, really well done. It's not too much. Like I said earlier, doesn't overtake the film. It's not an issue. <coughs> so, cinematography wise, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to give it to. I mean, it's it, it's all about that set as well for Trespass. It's all about the way it feels. The the you feel, I think that's the problem with Judgment Night is it's just too open plan. It's like they could run anywhere, go anywhere. Uh, there's a couple of scenes which are a bit more tense, a bit more focused. But for me, the the claustrophobia of Trespass and the way it's it kind of you, there's no way out, there's no way out, there's no way out. That whole film, you're feeling oh, there's no way out for possibly for them. There's no there's no resolution to this problem. <coughs> Excuse me, but. Um, but it just works. I think that's that's down to Walter Hill and the cinematographer, the cinematographer's name I don't know, um, in this film have really nailed that and the the setting and the the set everything works. Um, so I'm going to give that to Trespass. So I think that's two to Judgment Night, two to Trespass, I believe. Let's count them down. So yeah, yep. So that's two each. So oh, it's close. It's very close. Was it two each? Uh, yeah, it was two each. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm losing count. I'm losing count. I'd be useless in an actual war, clearly. Or just any old job, particularly. Any job that involves counting, which is a job I have. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the final category. Direction. Uh, so... Trespass was directed by Walter Hill, a tried and true director who's had many hits and uh, very, you know, a lot of his films I do own. Um, he's he's a high quality director. Uh, again, 
knows knows what to focus on, knows what to do. He's had a lot of experience. At this point, at this juncture, I don't think um, the director of Judgment Night had the same amount of experience. Didn't like is I mean. Predator 2 I've seen a couple of times. Um, I haven't seen many much of his other work. Um, and it's fine. It's not a, it's not a bad film, um, I don't think, in comparison with other sequels for horror movies. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm sorry, it's 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 gotta be it's gotta be Walter Hill. It just he just knows what he's doing. I think he was very early on in his career, the director of Judgment Night, so I don't think he has the experience of the eye that Walter Hill has, um, but this is, uh, um, I mean, Trespass is the winner, let's be honest, um, I think it is a stronger film, um, again, there's a lot of stuff to like about Judgment Art, and I do recommend people watch it, I just don't think the, similar, the similarities that are there between the two films <coughs> are there for a reason, um, and obviously Universal were trying to go hard with these kind of films at the time, clearly, because they were released within a year of each other. Um, but I, th I just think Trespass is stronger. It just, on the whole, is just a stronger film. Um, but I recommend you watching both, listeners, uh, Twitterati and everybody else out there, I think you should watch both. I do recommend watching both. I don't completely disregard Judge Miller. I just think that Trespass has a slight advantage over over Judgment Night, I think it's purely more to do with the people behind the camera as opposed to the people in front of the camera. I think that's the only weakness of Judgment Night, is the people behind the camera are not as experienced or as focused or as, I don't know, what, whatever t talent they have. And they have a lot of talent for the people that have produced Judgment Night. I, I just don't think that it was enough to offset the talent that is has gone in, into that has basically gone into a trespass. So I'm gonna leave it there. So the conclusion of the first Clone Balls Trespass, the very first Clone Balls Trespass has won, it has taken the cake from Judgment Night. Again, both very high quality films, great 90s action movies. Maybe if I'd seen uh, Judgment Night when I was a bit younger, I might have, you know, might have, might have gone the other way. I might have had a bit more kind of reverence for it or kind of good memories of it. Um, but it, I've ha I have to judge them. I both watch them today. I have to judge them on their individual merits uh, against each other, and that's that's what I have come up with. So apologies at I am J A C S Musings, but I did really enjoy it and I'm so glad you recommended it to me. I had a lot of fun watching both of these films. Thank you at Nerds Chatting. I guess you are the winners in so, in so many regards. So uh, you get a little no prize from myself. Uh, official little no prize. Um, but yes, so I'm going to call that a day on this podcast. It's great to be back 2019. Hopefully I'm going to do a lot more of these. I'm going to get a few more guests on this year as well because I feel like as much fun as I have on my own uh, I think I can have a lot more fun with, with other people and like I said I, I want to produce more of the secret defenders where people defend their films so um, so I, who knows we can uh, we can have a some more kind of those kind of discussions and comparisons and stuff if you guys would like to recommend any movies to me to watch review um, if you'd like me to compare two similar movies that I've seen or not seen um, let me know I'm happy to do that 
Uh, I'm going to look at... Uh, some of you guys uh, recommended me some films the other day on Twitter. I'm going to look into those as well. Uh, hopefully do a few reviews of those. Um, if you do want to find me, if you're a first-time listener, if you do want to find me on any of the social medias, I am on Facebook at Secret Bores. If you type that into Facebook at the top, at Secret Bores, you'll find me on Facebook. The uh, My Twitter is at Dan underscore Bores. And this podcast will be available on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify once it has been edited and uploaded. Uh, I will let everybody know. Um, make sure that when you tweet at me, make sure you use the hashtags Join the Pratalian or Prepare for Prattle. Um, those are my favourite ones that I've chosen. So yeah, join in. Uh, let us know if you've seen these movies. Let us know what you think of them as well. If not, watch them and get back to me. And uh, and I will happily join in the discussion. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Uh, whatever you fancy, please get into my life, people. Uh, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. This is why I need guests, guys. This is why I need guests. <laughs> Going mad in, in my room. All alone. Okay, I will see you next time. So take care, guys. This is Spider Dan signing off.